This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. We have a special one today. We're going to talk about rising interest rate and the impact that it has on a bunch of different industries. And so we'll go around the table and everyone can introduce themselves. But uh, I think we got a great podcast and it may go a little long today just because we're going to delve into some topics and uh, get a little local on some of our knowledge as well. So you Charlie, went fast into that intro. Right. That was speedy. There like we go. That. Let's that was, get into let's it. Get into it. Do it. It's time. You can call it four dudes in a room if you want today. It's, it's a <laughs> subset like, of our it's podcast. It's like a band, right? <laughs> All right, Charlie, why don't you lead us off? Charlie Wills with the Charlie Wills Real Estate Team. Uh, here in Madison, we serve mostly Dane County. And Dave Growls with the Dave Growls Mortgage Team at Waterstone Mortgage. So really the purpose today is to give people a better understanding of why uh, what's happening in the market right now is happening and kind of what this means for people as they um, kind of move through the next 6 to 12 months of I want to refinance a house, I want to build a house, I want to buy a house, um, just kind of give people a better understanding of some of the changes that have happened because there's definitely been some things that have happened in the last month that uh, we haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, I, I think that what stood out for me the most was when Charlie said uh, to me when I asked him, hey, how's, how are things going right now? And he said, oh, they're kind of screeching to a halt right now, and we haven't heard that in a while. So I'd definitely like to hear your thoughts. And, and also from the, the mortgage lender uh, aspect mm-hmm. of it, I'd like to hear from Dave, too. So, Charlie, uh, uh, can you just expand a little bit on that comment that you made to me uh, recently about how everything kind of slowed down and hit the skids? Yeah, and, th- and I think we talked a little bit also that the market has been amazing for the year, record setting again. So sales down for this area total to this year from last year, but the median price keeps rising. So that tells you that inventory levels are still lower than they should be uh, for an average market where it's, they call it equal, but it's, there's never an equal market, right? Buyer to seller. Um, and so what we're seeing is there's four straight months of inventory increases first time ever in five years. So that's telling us that now with the rates increasing, um, that we actually are, are, our inventories are raising. And this isn't every single neighborhood. This is just market wide. Um, if you would have said six months ago, take a look at everything from 200 to 300 on the west side, there'd have been probably three or four listings. There's now 100 between the near east side. So Monona, all the way through Verona, Middleton, there's 100 houses now between 200 and 300. So it's like, okay, something's happening, something's changing. And so what we're preparing our sellers for is, depending on where you are, how much inventory is there and who are you competing with? And now there's a discussion of last October, I just had the same discussion, like last October in Nakoma, we just sold a house in Nakoma. Um, last October, there was uh, 4.5% off of houses in October when you ne- uh, negotiating contracts. 
So I said, all right, it's October. You got your house for sale. You got this offer. It's 4.5% off. They are probably looking at the same information. Let's see if we can get 2% of that back right? In negotiations. We did. We got 2.5% back and they're elated, right? Like we beat the market. So I think you can look at that. That's kind of what's happening now. And I don't know if it's the rate, if it's speculation, kind of like what happens with the market where people kind of get in their own heads and they start making bad decisions based on a knee jerk. So it could be that, or it just could be the inventory is rising just a little bit. And now there's a more even playing field, right? There's negotiations happening. So it could be a lot of it. We'll see what happens in the next few months. Dave, are you seeing the same things on your side of the world? We are. The uh, leads have slowed down just a little bit. Uh, pre-approvals have slowed down. Um, I would say that now, though, the, the people we are working with are a lot more serious about buying a home. So maybe you have fewer potential buyers, but the ones that are engaged are more actively engaged than maybe in the spring. What do you think some of the uh, reasons for that are? Is it just education, or is it more so that the market's been so hot so they're just more prepared at this point? I think there's a little bit of both. Plus, I think that, you know, when you look at the spring market, a lot of that, the motivation behind it is to make sure that the kids, for a lot of people, that family-wise, that the kids are in the right school district, uh, and it gives them the summer to move in. You get into this time of year, and the school district factor becomes a little bit less relevant because, uh, and, and also as we get into colder weather, fewer people want to move in December in, in Wisconsin than they do in, in the spring. Yeah, I think the, um, the the takeaway from um, a lot of the uh, you know, the feedback that we're getting from the professionals, not just the two in the in the room here, but the professionals that uh, Clint and I talk to on a on a weekly and monthly basis, is that um, you know it, it's an easier market, if I will, uh, Charlie. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Easier from the standpoint of you don't have to make a decision literally within five minutes on a house. Um, but at the same time, if you're a seller, uh, you may not, uh, you might need to change your expectations a little bit in terms of your house selling in literally one day. Is that fair? Yeah. Expectations is a big conversation that we have with both buyers and sellers because, um, buyers say, well, if the house has been on a week, it must be not worth what they're asking for it. Right. They've had five years of that. So they're now, um, they're now trained, right. Pavlov's dog kind of mentality, like, well, it, it must be something wrong with it, or it must not be worth what they're asking for it, and that has nothing to do with value. It's merely the market shift in terms of now there's just more inventory, right? More people are patient, more diligent, right? They're taking their time to get their pre-approvals. Uh, they don't have to make a decision in one day. Um, so I think that's there, but yeah, we're having a lot of those conversations. Um, I, the same people that had this home for sale in Nakoma, they said, well, it's been five days. Why don't we have any offers? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> this is what we talked about a week, not even a week ago, that you're not going to have an offer for two to three, maybe four weeks, because that's where we're going with our rhythm. You're priced appropriate. You're, you're right where you need to be. We need to take ourselves back to 2011, 2012, and that was just a more even market. Houses were selling in 90 to 120 days, total package. That means time of marketing, time of offer, and to closing. So it's resetting that mentality and that's tough for people, right? Because then they have a neighbor or somebody who sells it in one day and you have to say, okay, well, why? Right. So you have to like educate them through that. So it could have been in a neighborhood like Dudgeon Monroe. You put a house still today up for that. I don't care if it's worth 600 grand. That house is gone in a day. It's, it's, it's the supply of the location. And so there are neighborhoods that are outside of this discussion that we're having. We're talking about the overall average market, and then, and then it's very specific to the neighborhood. So make sure that your agent knows the neighborhoods that they're working in um, because then they should be able to tell you what's happening direct in that neighborhood. 
I think what you're talking about is kind of a more return to a normal market, and we're seeing that in our industry too. I mean, you know, the interest rates are coming back up and returning to more normal levels, and we've been at abnormal levels for so many years in a row now. And, and I think that that's one of the interesting things that people don't look at history. And if you're newer, if you're a millennial entering this, I mean, think about their mindset right now. If they're 26 years old and they just got out of college and they're like, yeah, we came out of this great recession. I didn't participate in it. So I think that interest rates are low forever. I think that houses go really fast. I think that the stock market really isn't volatile. It goes straight up. I mean, think about all the things that they're going to have to reset in their minds to become a more normal consumer in, in the future. I mean, there's, there's so many things to think about and you have to put yourself, I think, in your client's shoes when we're all in the service industry and reset that expectation and educate people about what is reality and where we haven't been in the last really decade. That got explained to me by my one of my economics professors at the business school. They said it's the big bang theory that we all have to recalculate every decade about what our expectations are. And he used big bang because before big bang, we knew nothing before that either, right? So he's saying you don't really know what you don't know until that bang happens and then you got to recalculate. So I've always used that um, outside of business school because I thought that is a great way uh, to be able to always change with the times because you got to rethink and relearn what's currently happening. So with that being the case, Dave, help us understand why people shouldn't overreact to this in terms of rising interest rates. We hear this from time to time of people going, oh my God, they went up a quarter percent or half percent. I need to run out and buy a house tomorrow because I need to make sure I get my rate locked at a good rate. Well, the interesting piece of that conversation to me is there's thresholds whenever you hit different levels of interest rates. And you know, when you look at right after the election, the rates went from the upper threes to the low fours. And I would literally have people come in and go, it's that high? And you're like, <laughs> it's four and a quarter, you know? By the time you take the interest deduction, I mean, it's, it's really inexpensive money, right? right. Um, well, the same thing is happening right now. So, you know, the difference for whatever reason between 4.875 and 5% in, in people's brain when they hear five, which is where we're at now is in, is in the low fives, that there's just something that takes place there where they think, well, fives, this is, there's more of a panic button for sure. And, you know, my point is let's still find, uh, does it still make sense to buy a house right now? Do you, which my answer would be, it most certainly does. I know, is it still an affordable payment for you? Um, does it, does that, does it work within your household still? And that's what we need to focus on. Not necessarily what's the rate and do I push the panic button? And the reason for moving up in house, it could be that your family just got larger or, you know, you're downsized, you're downsizing your life or there's all sorts of different things that are outside of that, that people have to consider rather than just a rate. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's something too, like we, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I mean, school district wise, maybe. Now your kids are becoming school age, and that wasn't important to you when you bought the home, but now it's really important to you. So, you know, some of the factors that would lead you to go house hunting to begin with are still there, and maybe you have to change, you know, your price point slightly if if the interest rate, if you were, you know, looking pretty tight. Uh, but certainly that's still an option. It still makes a ton of sense. It's still pretty inexpensive money when you look at it. Well, and also I think that we need to be a little bit more – uh, open-minded when it comes to lending and, and say, okay, how long are you going to stay in your house? And, you know, should you consider an ARM versus a fixed rate product if rate is your primary objective? That's a great point too, because, you know, ARMs certainly, they are going to save you some money on your monthly payment. And for a lot of people, they'll come in and say, um, you know, I say, how long are you going to be in the house? Oh, four to five years. Okay. Should we look at a seven-year ARM, building a little bit of a cushion in an ARM? And they'll say, I don't want an ARM. You know, they, they <laughs> right. panic. So, and really... 
30-year rates have been so great that we don't spend a ton of time talking about arms. We always present it as an option, but most people kind of shy away from them. Now that might be exactly what you need to do to get that extra buying power that you were looking for. That's such a funny comment that you make in terms of, you know, 4875 versus 5 or 4875 versus 5 and an eighth, right? If from a, we're all golfers in this room, right? 79 seems way different than 80 versus 80 to 81, right? Or, you know, 89 to 90 and then 90 to 91. It's still one stroke different both ways. But, boy, that, that one stroke from 79 to 80 feels like a mountain, whereas 80 to 81 just seems like a normal, oh, it's one stroke more. And so it's the mindset of – Four eight seven five versus five from a dollars and cents standpoint is that's got to be on an average loan less than ten bucks a month. I would assume it's, it's small. It, it, it's it's really even, small, right? Yeah. So it's the mindset piece of it that we need to understand. Um, we were talking earlier too about Dave's radio voice. We're going to just let Dave talk the whole rest of the time. <laughs> I think so. I, I, think, I don't crazy. even know why. He's yeah. just going to play some adult contemporary a, here for the next few hours. We're going to call it. He's a regular Yanni over there. Yeah, this is great. I'm going to close my eyes and sit in the corner here and probably take a nap. Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> and now Mike and the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's I, you know, we, we use that same thing. So we, we talk today. We do a lot of uh, cross-business uh, partnership type stuff with Dave's team. And we we took that mint, like that same idea that they had the difference between the rates. And then we got to the two, two, two points. Where are you buying at? I'm going. I'm buying at three. Okay, rate yesterday or where you thought it was at four seven five, and at five, that's a quarter point, right? So what does that do for your payment? And all we did was shift it and show them a simple deal, shoot them a screenshot of our mortgage calculator because we don't want to bother Dave over that kind of discussion. So we have this little mortgage calculator on our on our phones, and we shoot him screenshots and be like, "This is at three. This is at three and a quarter. This is at three fifty. This is at three seventy five to show them." what they can buy for that same money, what it would do. And I'd be like, well, is this still fit in your budget? Yeah. Then what are you worried about? Right? Again, it's changing that mindset piece. And um, the second part I was going to make is that uh, I remember that shift where we were kind of order takers, right? The same kind of market that we're in or were we were in, um, where it was like, house goes up, I got seven offers and I'm order taking and I'm trying to figure out this big mess that's happening. Now it's back to, you got to be a good negotiator. You got to be a good strategy person. You got to be good at looking at statistics. You got to be good at talking to your clients on a regular basis to keep them even and balanced about what's currently happening. Because I think people make knee jerk or emotional decisions when they don't have enough info, right? And that's usually, I don't want to call it ignorance because it's not like planned ignorance it's it's uh it's just uh um subjective to the information that we have so um anyways i just when i when i hear these changes it's like okay what's the solution not the panic part but what what can we do to like make people feel more comfortable and i think having this conversation on a podcast is one way to do it uh posting on social media calling all your business partners and telling them how it's going to make that kind of difference and not really um and then when you're out networking what should you do when someone brings up the rate conversation and you're at a bar speak loud and talk about it and say what it is and kill it in the room. So I think if you can train a lot of agents to have those conversations or mortgage lenders or even our partners here in the financial world, now you know what to say when somebody brings that up. Well, and consider the reasons why the interest rates are going up. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, out of 07, 08, um, and kind of the collapse that we saw there, uh, that was an, an event, you know, it's a hundred year flood that happens every 20 years, you know, but it's still kind of like the hundred year flood that, that happened that caused the financial market to seize up 
and it's been an unprecedented long time for low interest rates. And what the Fed is signaling to us right now is that the economic environment is far better than it was even five years ago. And the Fed has to be able to give us some room there. And it doesn't all, you know, it's not a one-to-one on, on mortgage rates when the Fed raises rates. But what it's signaling to us is that the economic environment is certainly more favorable. And the Fed is concerned about overheating. They're concerned about inflation. And so they're trying to tamp that down and not let inflation run away. And inflation is one of those things that's really insidious. Um, All of a sudden, you'll wake up one day and prices are higher and sometimes markedly higher. So that's why the Fed takes it so seriously. That's really their number one mandate um, is managing to inflation expectations and trying not to have a situation where it runs away. And, you know, with the Fed, too, uh, signaling all this, they want to give themselves room in case we do go through another recession to be able to cut rates back. So there are some really good things leading to these higher interest rates. Um, and keep also keep in mind that if you're paying a higher rate on your mortgage, and we do see some inflation in there, I mean, your bank account assets are paying you more now. Uh, perhaps your other financial assets do too, uh, because the stock market's been pretty good, you know, despite a little volatility recently. I mean, uh, you know, so there's a lot of things to consider there too, not just this one thing in the middle of, of that conversation, you know, that whole conversation around rates. There's a reasons why the rates are going up. And for the most part, those reasons are good reasons. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about expectations because I think Charlie brings up a great point. Those can get skewed really easily. Uh, Dave, how long have you been in the industry? 18 years. 18 years. So what's the highest that you've seen mortgage rates in 18 years? I believe when I first got started, and it was upper sixes. Okay. So when we're talking about going from four and a half to over five, I mean, we're, we're, we're a long ways away from even the highest that you've ever seen. Right. And even that is low, relatively speaking, in terms of, you know, if you go to historical data, even, even earlier than that, you know, there were times where people were in the 10 to 12 to 15% range. Let's just let that settle in for a minute, because I think a lot of people listening don't have any idea that mortgage rates used to be 12, 15, even 18 percent at at some uh, times in the 70s and 80s. Let's also talk about expectations when it comes to timeframes. Charlie, reiterate that again. A normal, if you're going to talk about normal, what is a normal timeframe and what is a normal amount of offers that you can expect within that timeframe if you put your house on the market? Right now. Right now. Um. As a general market, I would say between 200 and 300, a general house for sale, uh, you're going to look between probably one to two offers. Um, and again, neighborhood specific, if I found that same house in your good school districts, uh, the ones that are rated high, Wanakee, Middleton, Verona, and West Madison, um, that's just focusing on the west side. And if I go east, there are a bunch of those kind of neighborhoods, Monona being one of them, that those school districts under 300 grand you'd probably have a handful of offers uh, in your hand. Um, normal, uh, when I see 300 to 400, you're going to be on the market two to three months, right? Be, be prepared for that two to three month time frame. Again, neighborhood specific, if I had a $400,000 house in Dutch Monroe, Vilas, near, near West, you're probably going to be gone in 30 days. But again, it used to be days, right? Maybe hours. You would have multiple offers in your hands with tons of weird contingencies removed, right? No appraisal, ten thousand over, twenty thousand over. Sometimes I've I've seen them as high as ten percent, twenty percent over, asking cash on top of it at closing. I mean, I we saw some ridiculous offers. So I think that's gone for right now. I still think next year is going to be a good market, but yeah, the timing is just going to be a little slower. So it's a little bit more work. It's a little bit more. Um, communication with your client on a regular basis, which 
isn't necessarily a terrible thing. I think in this market, it was too easy to say, well, we'll have it up on Thursday. You'll have eight offers by Sunday and Tuesday we'll meet and we'll go over them and you'll have an accepted offer by Wednesday. That's, that's not normal. So just like the rate conversation with Dave, they were, they're just not normal conversations. And now that we're adjusting for the better, I think too, I'm, I'm with Clint on that uh, description of they have to raise to get back to normal because if we have a recessionary or an, the only way to reboost an economy is by stripping rates, right? They can offer incentive programs, but they can't offer it if there's nothing there. It's like saying, I can give you money out of my bank account, but if there's no money in the bank account, I can't give you anything. So Anyways, I, I see the market normalizing this next year and probably being relatively the same in terms of sales. I'm not quite sure what the effect will be on pricing. Um, I think it'll dip a little bit. Um, probably under 300 grand, it'll stay pretty high and steady, um, pretty even, but it's above that 300 grand. I bet you it starts to normalize a little bit and we see some deductions. And uh, both question for Dave and Charlie, do you think that the interest rates are the sole driver of this sort of kind of hiccup here or are there other things out there that we may have not discussed yet i know you, you mentioned to me charlie you mentioned the election as being you know it kind of slows down in your in your world a little bit too towards elections yeah this is midterm so it'll slow a little bit because i think people get in their heads a little bit like hey it's senate race it's mayoral it's it's governor race and people get excited about those things and then they stop having actual decent thoughts about things they need to focus on like like uh, I think you brought up like, hey, our family went from two to three people or three to four people or however it did. I need more space. Sometimes they're worried so much about what's going to happen in the governor's race that they can't even focus on what they need. And so it's it's all coming down to I always see this in presidential races that the market just tanks right at that time of the year because people literally can't focus on anything else other than what that situation is going to be. And then they speculate what that's going to mean to their housing. What's that going to mean to their family, their job? they start going on these trains, right, that they can't stop um, speculating on. And so luckily we don't have that kind of speculation, but I think this next year is going to be a good year, another good year. I think we're on with slow rates and rises and in, in our rates. Um, I think we're going to still have good for probably two, three more years. I still think it's that strong of a market here, at least locally. And Dave, do you, do you see anything, any other reasons why uh – is this mostly interest rate driven or is there, are there other reasons that you can think of why this has kind of slowed down? I mean, not seasonal, but yeah, other reasons. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly the seasonal part is, is real. You know, there's a lot of people that just don't want to move in the, the wintertime in Wisconsin. Um, I do think the, the one good part of the rates starting to go up is people that have focused on that and maybe they've been kind of taking their time and kicking tires a little bit. It, it makes them start to become a little bit more serious about it. Uh, Charlie, I wanted to ask you, how much of uh, other real estate agents do you think? I hear so many agents now talk about the spring market. You know, and the reality is, obviously, we're in a 12-month business, and we, we, we close a lot of loans, and you sell a lot of real estate year-round. Mm -hmm. But would you agree that part of that is kind of stemmed from uh, a lot of real estate agents that talk so heavily about the spring market that that's what people almost start to hold out their listings for? D Dave, Clinton and I will do the question asking around here. We, we ask the question. Uh, remember, he has, that's how this generally works. He, 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 has, right, he has the velvety voice. Okay. He does have the velvety voice. I thought he'd like it better served up for me. Yeah, it was hot, hot dish. Um, how do you turn their mic off, Charlie? Yeah, I just hit this button over here, Dave. Um, I, I, I like that question. Um, I got thrown off. Sorry, what was I saying again? That was, that was very good. I like that, Nate. Um, was, were you just saying that... Um, 
There's so much talk about the spring market. Oh, sure. That how much of that do you think we've kind of self-induced? It's totally self-induced. Um, I think from our business, to less than ten percent of the realtors run their business, and this is not a slam. I'm just making a. This is very factual. Ten percent of them run it as a business, and you can see that in the business product. Like you look at production in a year, they record the MLS records who does what production of business. It used to be an eighty twenty difference. You say twenty percent of the realtor or realtor teams did 80% of the business. It's now 10% do 90. And I think that's shifting because of that, that right there, what Dave said, it's the mentality of, oh, it's getting cold. Oh, just, you know, don't put your house on now because the spring will be a much better time. You'll get so much more money for it. Well, what if no houses go up? There's people constantly relocating and moving to Madison all the time of the year. And actually the fourth quarter is one of the largest relocation times of the year because what are businesses doing? I have so much money left in the budget. I need to hire these positions. They're not all low. If you look at the job report, nobody's hiring from inside Madison typically. And so they're going outside and they're relocating people. So I think that mentality is so wrong. When I hear people in my office, I just shake my head. I'm like, what are you, what are you even talking about? That doesn't even make sense to think about because there's still people moving. Now, if somebody came and said, hey, Charlie, my house is in Nakoma and it's 800 grand and there were five houses for 800,000 in Nakoma, would I tell you to sell your house? I'd say it's probably not a good choice, right? If you're the cream of the crop of that 800, maybe worth the, the conversation. But if you're one of five or one of 10, in the same price point in a neighborhood, I would tell you probably different advice. But I think I think that's why it's so important to be a professional, someone who knows the whole market and not just the comment like Dave said, oh, it's the spring, just wait for normally what people do. Think about the whole thing, like what's in front of you and what's currently happening, and then make a choice off of that. And I think a good point on that is uh, is the point that Dave made earlier, which is the buyers that are out there this time of year, they're not screwing around. They're out there to buy a house. I mean, they're not tire kicking. They're not wasting time on a Sunday walking through open houses. They're there to buy. And so you know, my father has been in real estate for 30 years, and he always, we'd always say that houses sell every single day. And so, you know, if you're going to try to pick when you want to sell your house, what, what are you doing? If you want to sell it, sell it. You know, people, I think people get this weird thing about their house is going to quote, get stale on the market or some like, kind of weird thought. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where that comes from, but, um, cause they think of their houses like a pair of jeans. If that pair of jeans has been on the market forever, you expect to get a discount on those pair of jeans, right? They're not selling, they're on the stock, they're on the shelf. All of a sudden they're going to just keep slashing prices until the jeans sell. That's not what houses do. It's a house. It's an asset. I'm with you and your dad, and when he makes that comment, is that they're they're going to be more motivated and more focused this time of the year because they got to do it in a short period of time before it gets really crappy out. And right now, if you say somebody's going to buy a house and close at 64 degrees outside, they're like, "Oh, we got plenty of time. The weather's great. Add 30 days today. What is 30 days from today? Thanksgiving. 30 days from that, Christmas. 60 days before Christmas and before the end of the year. They don't." they don't conceptualize like how motivated people are to get this stuff done right now. Like this is the last push. You'll see November and December closings within the next two weeks. You're going to see a slam. And I think, I don't know if Dave's going to see the same. I, we look back. So we did this as a team two weeks ago. I wanted them to get out of their own head and hearing all the stuff that we hear from everybody in the office. Look what's happened the last five years, every single October. It's been an absolute slam show. Um, 
And I don't think the market's shifting that much to change with the rates that we're not going to see the same thing. So there was a pause for three weeks, and I think it was a little speculative move that people got kind of in their heads. And then I think we're just going to literally get slammed. We're going to have a strong, strong finish. Well, and the stock market corrected during that time, too. So I think it's a lot of a lot of uncertainty together. You see rising interest rates. You see a stock market that really got kind of jumpy for a bit, and it's still jumpy even yet Agreed. today. So um, now the earnings reports that come out are going to be quite good um, in our estimation. So, you know, I mean, there's still a lot to like out there, and I echo your sentiment. I, I want to ask you, too, Charlie, because you said something that I found interesting. You're talking about that 2080, and now it's, it's 1090 between uh, – teams and transactions is that partially because your solo realtor that just hangs their shingle out is kind of gone now and they're kind of forced to join teams now or that's the better business model now they don't know how to run businesses because the brokers don't show them how to run a business so they get their licenses as a sole practitioner you can't manage 35 40 people in a year impossible to do not impossible you just work non-stop and you don't have life so most people just burn out and Dave probably sees that a lot too, is that people just literally burn out after a year or two because they can't maintain. So right now it's either you join a team and you don't burn out because you then can balance yourself, but then you're also not able to produce at the level that you could produce. Now the nice thing with teams, and I think the reason why they're growing, is because the person running the team has the structure for you to do well. So they have the administrative, the transaction coordinators, and all the things that you can't pay for. And that's why you earn a less percentage, but they cover all your stuff for you so that you can just be an agent and go sell houses and go talk to people. You don't have to worry about your paperwork, your closing details, any of that, because the team takes care of that. And I think that's why teams are starting to get so big and popular is because of those things. And I, I don't know what Dave sees from his side, but I'd love to hear his, his ideas. Well, I think in your side of the business, what's really cool about that is if somebody is a buyer's agent, as an example, they're only working with buyers, Right. So they're an expert. I mean, they're seeing all the inventory. They know exactly what neighborhoods are available, what houses are available. They know the inventory inside and out. If you have to be a listing agent, a buyer's agent, do all the paperwork yourself, you know, it's just a lot harder. And I think agents are starting to realize that. And I've seen the teams grow dramatically in the in the Dane County area and having a lot of success. We're doing cross training on that. So like you're, fo you're a buyer's agent and you focus on buyers, but I want you to come to my listing agreements and my listing contracts and I'm going to bring you on my negotiations because I want you to hear those conversations so that when you do have a buyer writing an offer, you know what conversations are being had on the other side. So now you can pre pro you can kind of not predict, but with better probability, have better negotiations because you've been on both sides of the table. That's and so we, we do that with each other. And I think that's what's going to continue to happen. Dave, why does a team make sense in the on the mortgage side? For a lot of the same reasons. Um, there's people that are, you know, if I'm constantly meeting with realtors, meeting to do pre-approval meetings with clients, uh, really going through different options out there, different loan programs, um, and then also going through signing their loan documents with them. I want to be a specialist in my piece of the puzzle. I've got folks on my team that are experts in the detail part of it. So I'll do an introduction and say, as an example, Troy on my team is going to take it from application to closing. He's going to reach out to you every Tuesday and update you. It provides a lot more time for us each to do the part that, you know, avoid the, the peaks and valleys and just really I'll go out and prospect on a regular basis versus prospect, get some business, start working in the business, doing a lot of parts of the business that are not my strong suit. So now we've, we've uh, developed teams. We started, we, went, we switched to that about seven years ago. And it's been probably the best move we've ever made simply because it allows everybody to really work in their wheelhouse and it allows us to avoid those peaks and valleys. 
And Dave, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, you know, you have such structured products, um, you know, in that you've got, you know, seven-year arms, five-year arms, you've got 15-year fixed, 30-year fixed, all of that. How do you keep it fresh for yourself every single day talking about things that are fairly similar? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, really, it, it, to me, it's about, first of all, I understand the importance of giving options uh, that maybe my competitors don't give them. You know, for example, instead you can say, hey, you just here's the PMI, the private mortgage insurance. Well, I can show you four different options to avoid mortgage, P, private mortgage insurance. I understand the significance of, of the save, what that savings can mean. It might mean more buying power. It might just mean they have a lower payment. Um, but it also helps them realize that we're an expert in what we're doing, and we take it very seriously to make sure that they understand exactly why they're in the loan program that they're in. So it's really just because, you know, we have to, being able to say it, I understand the importance to somebody that's a first-time buyer. might be something I do day in and day out, but for them, it, it matters a lot. And I'm going to add to that, that that relationship with your lender partner, um, I can fill Dave in on some things they've talked about at their showing, right? I can say, Dave, they're only going to put 10% down because they're going to take the other 10% that they were because I talked them into doing buying a house at less value to do renovations that they want to do because they want that neighborhood. So I can then tell Dave that, and he goes, cool, you're going to do only 10%. There is PMI, but you now have the money. Or I can restructure your loan to do a first and a second on your closing, and then you can just not have PMI. Right? He, he then knows how to have the right conversation because he has more information. And that's what I think a team does is that our team leaders, Dave and I in this instance our team leaders, we can have those conversations and share with our team how to have those with their partners on the other side. So like Dave said, Elon Musk isn't building cars, right? And I'm not comparing myself in any way to Elon Musk. He's, he's like hawking to me. So <laughs> like, so I'm just saying like you have to leverage yourself at what you're good at. I'm, I'm good at networking and connecting with people. And um, there's people that are very good at having the details and the structure. And I think that's what you have to build towards. And, and I, that's why the, the market's getting dominated by it. Yeah, and I think that we we have a similar thing going on in our office too. Is, you know, Nate handles a lot of this uh, real estate talk with our clients because um, it's very nice to have a resident expert. I mean, Nate being a, a former mortgage loan officer and a former realtor on our team is an advantage that we have. And then go over other financial services companies out here, we can directly plug into somebody that's seen all the different mortgage types and has seen all the different environments, and he can coach them along and, and make sure that they're able to get exactly what they need, and then be able to kind of be that go-between between the the realtor or the mortgage loan officer when we get into those situations. And sometimes they just need another person to weigh in on it and just give us the, the checkbox, you know, that mental checkbox with the client going, oh, yeah, they are doing a good job for me. Or maybe I should ask about that, too. So it's, it's nice to have that on staff. And I, I tend to agree with the teamwork part of it is that we're building out a, a bigger and bigger team. And as, as we grow, I think we're going to see the same thing is that we're all going to do what we're best at. And if I can somehow get rid of this compliance stuff that I got to do, it would just be wonderful. <laughs> I bet you got a lot of volunteers for that. Uh, yeah, none, none, <laughs> none. Nate took the accounting. I have an accounting degree. I totally screwed that up. Nate took the accounting. I took the compliance because I work like way, way, way back in the day auditing com uh, commodities firms. And so therefore I got stuck with that. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, I wish you I could. You were happy to take it back in the day, too. You were like jo jovial about it. I was like, kind of sure, surprised. I was like, wow. All right. That was really dumb. Do. Sometimes right. you make okay. good decisions, sometimes you make <laughs> awful decisions, and I'll chalk that one up to a bad one. You learn from that failure. Right. <laughs> I'm about two thirds of the way through that Elon Musk podcast with Joe Rogan, and I say that if you listen to another podcast, you should listen to that one. That, He's a weird dude. He's but weird, but 
I have listened to it now three times. So you're talking nine hours uh, that I've wasted. Well, I've learned. <laughs> I've learned a lot. You've invested in yourself. I've invested in my own knowledge. He is on a different planet, and not just saying he's different from like a human being, like interaction. I'm talking like he is beyond all of us. Like when you hear him talk normally and you see news clips, I have. I'm like, he doesn't even make sense. But I heard that whole podcast. And I'm like, he's brilliant. He's Stephen Hawking without being encapsulated by a disease. Like this guy is on a whole nother level smarter than the rest of us. And he's good at just continuing to just keep stop, not stop moving. He has so many ideas. He just keeps going. And, and if anybody's wanting to listen to that podcast, it's Joe Rogan. I don't know what, what number podcast it is, but you just search on Joe Rogan's podcast and it's Elon Musk's and honestly the best one I've ever heard. It's incredible. And the guy just has the weirdest, he's got a weird voice and a weird cadence. And I think he's a robot. Yeah, but you know, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> they don't want to destroy robots, but they also are afraid of robots. Um, and they talk a lot about AI. But yeah, you're right. He does a lot of like, um, I'm big on podcasts when I hear people. He has like ticks with his mouth, and I'm like, oh, I can't listen to that. So I listen to them at one and a half speed, so I don't have to hear them as much. <laughs> and it actually like makes it sounds like chipmunks, <laughs> but it's really fascinating and entertaining to hear it too. Because Joe Rogan's like <laughs> when he laughs, and then Elon's like at a normal speed. Because normally when he talks, he talks like this. You're like, oh my god, please talk faster. <laughs> um, so, anyways, it's fascinating. Well, great. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave and Charlie, and hopefully you got some good information here on interest rates and uh, how we see the Madison market. So thanks for joining us and give you some truth. We'll see you in a future episode. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. That's the masses of silence. Come on, dead in the eye. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.